everybody. Um, it's my opportunity to lead you this morning in the Word. Um, for those of you that don't know me, I'm Andrew. I'm um, pastoring here and one of the leaders, and um, I'm also flying off, as Joel said, to Uganda this week. So I appreciate your prayers and for this morning and that. Um, we're going to do something a little bit different today. So before we do the reading, I'm going to I'm going to do something different, and um, it's going to involve all of you. You're going to get a little bit active. Well. A little bit active, you know, not like young people soccer active, but a little bit active. This morning, though, let me tell you a little bit. This morning, I was at the gym really early, and there was this this one on one of the news channels. There was a lady in Japan who had was celebrating her 116th birthday. Who wants to live to 116? <laughs> no, not many of us, do we? But here's the thing: the celebration was for her birthday. But it was a dual celebration because it was also a celebration of, at, at 110, she decided to get a degree in maths and geometry, and she just graduated her degree. So they had this, this dual, dual celebration. How cool is that? So anyway, but then they get these people talking about, you know, because she's sitting there, and, um, and people want to honour her, and they get these people talking about her, and you would kind of expect, and they had some of the students, and, and here's the thing, here's 116, who wants to sit in uni with a 116-year-old, you know? But here's some of the students that were with her, and they were talking about her, and you'd think they were going to say, congratulations, how smart you are, that at 110 you decided to do this degree in you, but what they said was what kind of woman she had what she was like in the classroom and when they stopped and talked to her and the, the pearls of wisdom and the things that she shared with them and, and the way that she treated them was different than, than other people. And there was all this sort of stuff. There was vi virtually hardly anything about how smart you are. And um, it was really providential because that's what I want to talk about this morning. You know, this lady really had an influence and became someone that people wanted to talk about, that people wanted to emulate and be like. And so this morning I want to talk a little bit about, I want to do a tiny little bit of what I would do when I'm teaching overseas in, in Europe in the DTSs. And I'm going to get you to do something. What you'll need to do is in the aisles there is some paper and pens. You need to make sure you've got a little piece of paper and a pen, if you've got a pen. So the back aisles, there wasn't enough paper, so if you can scoot forward if you're one of the back aisles and grab a piece of paper and a pen. Um, and I'm assuming you can all write or draw pictures or hieroglyphics that will help us understand what you're talking about. Um, so if you've got a paper, if, you, if you've got paper and pen, say, yes, I have paper and pen. That wasn't nearly enough, yes, I have paper and pens. Who does not have paper and pen yet? Put your hand up and we're going to make sure you get one. Andrew has paper and pen. That's your good wife. All right, now what I want you to do, I want you to humor me and work with me here. This is something that's pretty personal. You don't need to talk to the person next to you. you don't need to, at this point, you don't need to, you need to do this. I want you to just close your eyes for a moment for me. All right, just close your eyes for a moment. Trust me, I'm not going to run off with your phones and wallets and everything. Well, I might. Okay, now imagine you've just turned 80 years old. You might have done something like this before. This is your 80th birthday. Long life, not 116, 80. Right, and you're having a party in your honour. There's a lot of people around. There's a lot of there's soft music playing, probably a little bit softer than Jordan's music last night at his party. Just soft music playing, people chatting, the clink of glasses. You know, you're sitting there and people are speaking to you. But then it goes quiet and someone gets up to make a speech. It's your very, very 
closest, dearest friend that has been your closest friend forever. And they want everybody, they want to talk about you and they make a speech about you. And, you know, you're 80 years old and they want to talk about the things they experienced and the person that you are and how they've seen you. They want to honor you. Imagine how you feel. Imagine you're 80 years old and you're at your party. Imagine how you feel. So you can open your eyes. What I want you to do for the next couple of minutes, and, and we'll, take, um, we'll take a couple of minutes to do it, I want you to write that speech that they just made about you. So it can be short. It can be, I want you to write that speech. It could be, if you prefer, like a spouse that's been with you for many, many years or something. But I want you to write, just to, on, on, you've got an A5 sheet there, but you can just write, I want you to write that short speech that they made about you. Is that... Pretty simple, pretty clear. I'm going to give you three to five minutes to do that and we'll put a little bit of music on and um, you can do it. So take it seriously. Just write the speech that they've written about you at 80 years old and it's a long way to imagine young guys, but you're going to get there. read a section of Ephesians with us. Um, we're going to have a bit of a talk about that this morning. We're going to look at um, discipleship. Is it to do or to be? And then to do. So this is Paul speaking to the Ephesians. Paul was passionate for them to discover, as um, Scott helped us understand, for them to discover who they were in Christ. And he was passionate to help them when they were struggling how to be his ambassadors, how to be the ones and how to understand who they were and to develop who they were and what were the keys. He was really keen for them to understand that. So this is just a small section of Ephesians. I've, I know I've said it here before, but if you're ever discouraged, read the first four chapters of Ephesians. And if you're still discouraged, read them again. And if you're still discovered, uh, discouraged, read them again. And let them sink in because there's some wonderful encouragement in there. But this is a small section. This is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. And for this reason, it starts off. Now, Paul says a lot of therefores and for this reason. And when you see that, that means that you need to look back and say, what's the whole picture? What has he been talking about? Why for this reason? And he's been talking about who they are in Christ. And remember that he's speaking to the body. He's talking about the context of the body, believers together. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge." that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church, in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Some really powerful words there. Some really strong statements there that he prays for the Ephesians, that he prays for us. And it would do us really well to understand some of them. 
We've been talking for about a year and a half uh, about moving people in following Christ. Last year we did a whole year on becoming mature disciples and, and what that looked like and there was a whole lot of stuff that, that we talked about for the year. And um, we use the language of discipleship a lot and we actually believe that that's the key for us to become more like Christ and to grow the kingdom. We ask things like, who is discipling you and who are you discipling and, and challenging people to find those contexts. But it can quickly become a list of to-dos, doesn't it? Things to do, tasks or performances or meetings to have or goals to reach, outcomes to meet. And so we can ask the question, have we understood discipleship really that well? I think we're not wrong. The things that we're, we're talking about are not wrong. But perhaps there's more. And um, I want to talk about that this morning. Is discipleship firstly only a do thing? Or is it perhaps a be thing as well? Is it a do things, things we've got to do in the first instance? Or is there perhaps in the first instance... It should be more about being. It's more than what is it more than what you do, and actually about who you are and who you're becoming. And out of that place, the do stuff happens. So who are we and who are we becoming? And it matters. And Paul says it matters. He keeps saying, for this reason, it matters, guys, that you understand who you are. It matters that you develop who you're becoming. It's going to make a difference. So when we consider who we're becoming, how does it happen? How, how, how does that develop? What or who shapes that? What examples do we have of the kind of person that, that we're to become? What contemporary examples do we look at? And we sometimes look at those in society. What historical examples do we look at? What biblical examples do we look at? And what kind of contexts expose or, or develop the person that we are and, and help us in that process of becoming? What kind of context do we or should we find ourselves in? And again, let me remind you that Paul is speaking about the body. The next chapter talks about the unity in the body. But the word is really clear. It's really clear throughout Scripture that we are to become like Jesus. For some of us, that's threatening. For some of us, we think that's just one of those Christian platitudes that we just sort of say, you know, you've got to become like Jesus. Yeah, right. How many of you feel like Jesus this morning? Yeah. And yet, the answer should be, we are. We're called to become like Jesus. We're called to model ourselves on Him. And what when the world sees us, they see Jesus. And, and you know, we're all on a journey for that. I'm not picking on us all, but that's what the Word calls us to be. You know, the Bible uses language to us like follow or being like or like-minded. The Bible uses that, being like-minded, when it talks about us, about us being like Jesus. Paul uses in Philippians, he uses language like reaching out to attain. He, he speaks of language like strain and fight and press on, all in that goal to become like Christ, to become Christ-like. So there's a lot of sort of really picturesque and really vivid language in the Bible and a real lot of a, a sense of strong commands that we're called to be like Jesus, to be like Christ. For us, a good word we could use, a descriptive word, would be aspire. That we need to aspire to be like Jesus. And we know what that means. 
I mean, you watch these guys who watch, you know, who, who endlessly watch soccer on YouTube or something like that. I want to be just like him. You know, or, or a football player or a musician. We know how to aspire. We see things that we admire and we think, wow, wouldn't that be really cool? That would be really good. I would love to be like that. And then when we get a little bit more mature, we, we see these sports things. We'd love, to have, you know, when, when we'd love to have the skill and the influence that this person has. Wow, wouldn't that be cool? So we aspire. We know what it means to aspire. The Bible calls us to aspire to be like Jesus. In our text, Paul is speaking to the Ephesians, and like I said, the context is the body, each other, serving together, witnessing, being his representatives, all that appears in there. And then he says this in Ephesians 3, verse 19, because that's a bit overwhelming, you know, thinking, well, wow, you know, how do we do all that? And he says this in, in, in verse 19, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Being filled with all the fullness of God. I'd say that that's one of, if not the strongest language that he uses to describe becoming like Jesus. All the fullness of God. You know, the NIV says, the measure of all the fullness of God. And I had a look at that word and I've got a, a slide up there for you to look at. You know, the word fullness in this scripture is the word pleroma. I think that's how I spelt it right up there. It's the word pleroma. And it means fullness. It just means fullness that you may be filled, pleru is that word, with all the fullness, pleroma, of God. And when that word is used in terms of God, it means all of his divine attributes and perfection, every bit of him. And that word appears again in Colossians 2 verse 9. I think I've stuck that up there as well. For in Christ, all the fullness, pleroma, of the Godhead dwells bodily. We know all that, don't we? We know that Christ had all the fullness of his Father in him. That all the fullness of God dwelled within Christ. And Paul reminded us of that. It's the same word. We see Christ who embodies all the fullness of God. So just think about that. Think, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're with me in this journey, you're, you're starting to think, well, hang on a second. How do I make that connection? Paul's praying that for the, for the Ephesians and, and for us, that we would be filled with all the fullness. And if all the fullness is the divine attributes, and are you thinking like I'm thinking? How does that happen? How many of you feel like God right now? We didn't get a Jesus, so we get a God. And yet the Bible calls us to be filled with all the fullness of God. And it's hard to fathom, isn't it? What is the fullness of God? Someone help me here. Let's just describe God. What's the fullness of God? You can call out. Not all together, because I only hear one of you at a time. Hmm? Majesty, majestic, omnipotent, divine. Hmm? Compassionate is a good one. Holy, forgiving. Did I hear forgiving? Yep. What else? Come, we're describing God here. We're sitting in church for goodness sake. Do we need a song to do it? <laughs> Joy. Hmm? Merciful. Awesome is a good one. That kind of encompasses the whole lot, doesn't it? That's it. 
Bam, mic drop. Hmm? Loving. Loving. And look, we could go on, and, and this is like, you know, in the DTS class we go a little bit faster with that, but we can go on. But have you thought of things like creativity? Have you thought of things like, you know, um, passion, um, emotion, um, things like that? That's, that's in the God. That's, that's the creativity. You know, um, what about power? You know, and that amazingly powerful. Like how many people can say elephant and there it is? By the way, that's creativity too. Who would have thought? Or giraffe. You know, so when we're talking about the fullness of God, we're talking about all that he is for us, but also that he is in character. And so then it makes me ask this question. If Paul says that we, you know, I pray that you be filled with all the fullness of God, is this possible? And how? And, and would he say it if it wasn't possible? Is he just messing with us? Is this a section of the Bible that's just toying with us and saying you can run but you can't hide or you can try but you're never going to get there? You know, It's like holding a lolly out for a kid but never actually giving it to them. Is that what he's doing? You know, we sometimes deal in the impossible, don't we? I found this interesting thing and there's a slide up. You have a look at this. These are some official... St- oh, it's a bit small. Let me read them out to you. Some official statements. The following statements are taken from official documents of their day. Listen to what the authorities had to say about what they thought was impossible. In 1840, someone said, anyone travelling at the speed of 30 miles per hour would surely suffocate. I don't know, some of the greenies in Melbourne would prefer that in the streets anyway. In 1878, British Parliament dismissed Thomas Edison's electric lamp by saying electric lights are unworthy of serious attention. How many of you are thankful for electric lights now? In 1901, Lord Kelvin, a physicist and a president of Britain's prestigious Royal Society, stated, radio has no future. He also contended that heavier-than-air flying machines are impossible and X-rays will prove to be a hoax. In 1889, the director of the United States Patent Office urged President William McKinley to close down the patent office because everything that can be invented has been invented. See you later, iPhone. (laughs) You know, as humans, sometimes we deal in the impossible before we deal in the possible, don't we? And as Christians, we can be like that too. We can be those who point to impossibilities. But there's a few that will always believe. It's often through them that God accomplishes great things. And Paul was one of these men, wasn't he? When all people around him were saying the Gentiles could not be reached. And even the Gentiles should not be reached. He set out to bring to the world to the, the good news of salvation to the Gentiles and all the world. Paul accomplished the impossible according to the time. How do you do it? Well, as we look around our text, as we look through Ephesians, and if you get a chance to read that, Paul gives us the remedy for negative thinking. And he gives us a recipe for accomplishing the impossible. So how do we do that? How, If we're supposed to become like Christ or we're supposed to become and have the, all the fullness of God, how do we do that? There's so many ways, but I just want to highlight two things this morning because we can't go through all of them. I think the first thing that's really important for us to understand is presence, the presence of God. You know, nothing starts. You know, you don't aspire until you have some context or some sense of presence Because we are shaped in the presence of God. We know that. Paul uses words like in him. Um, 
or the knowledge of and the how, that the presence of God shapes us. What are you and I, what are we doing to be in and to experience the presence of God in our lives daily? How does that look for you? You know, it could be in the Word. It can be via YouTube clips or teachings, in prayer, in conversation with people that, that we're able to share something of. You know, where the Bible says where two or three are gathered, there is God. That's the presence of God. What are we doing to practice the presence of God in our lives? And what happens if we do? You know, and I know I've told this story up here before. My favorite character is Obed-Edom. You'll never forget Obed-Edom if you heard my story. And here's someone who, um, who had the presence of God in the ark when David was afraid and put the ark in Obed-Edom's house. Who remembers that story? Who remembers Obed-Edom's story? You know? And the ark goes into Obed-Edom's house. And it's in, if you want to read the story, read it at home. It's two, 2 Samuel, Samuel 6-ish. Yes, 2 Samuel 6. And David's wanting to bring the ark and, and um, Uzzah, some guy, actually reaches out to touch the ark and he's struck down dead because um, he shouldn't have touched the ark. Um, so David gets fearful, puts the ark into Obed-Edom's house for three months and, and it says in there that the Lord blessed everything in Obed-Edom's life and his household. Everything, not some things, everything. So you can imagine everything being blessed, you know. And um, you could get really colourful with your language there, but you can imagine his crops, his bank accounts, his his kids, you know, get A's in school. He's, you know, um, if they were learning violin, it goes from sounding terrible to sounding like it was worth something, you know. Um, everything, it's everything. And David finds out, and when he finds out that um, that the ark, that the, because the ark's in Obed-Edom's house, he goes back to get it back because he heard that Obed-Edom was blessed in every way. And we know that the ark represented the presence of God. So we see that in the presence of God, things change. And then if you read, f- and, and, and you end up, and if you read forward, and you don't see much more of Obed-Edom, but you do see in Chronicles, I think, you do see that Obed-Edom and his sons are the priests or the, the musicians, so obviously the violin worked, are the musicians that are around the ark in the temple if you read forward in Chronicles. You see, because once you've experienced the presence of God, once you've experienced that blessing and you see how you're growing and what kind of person you're becoming, you will stay with it. And obviously they went with the ark back to the temple and became workers. You know, you've heard of people that want to be close to soccer players or music players or um, yesterday I was reading an article about Women in motorsport, okay, I'm into motorsport, and they hi- I highlighted six women who had been successful, one's a driver, one's a... Anyway, six women who had become successful in motorsport, and every one of them, how did you get successful? I just went there and hung around them, and I went there and got involved with them. And that's what it's like with the presence of God. When we go to the presence of God and hang around in the presence of God, that shapes us and develops who we're becoming. The disciples in the presence of Jesus, that three years that they had with Jesus shaped them and developed them so that to the point where they would be the ones that would plant the church that, as we know it. They would be the ones that would, would carry the values that Jesus had, would respond the way that Jesus responded, would have a passion the way that Jesus had a passion. So when we're in the presence of God, what changes or develops our passion, our values, our compassion, and all of those things that we talked about before? We begin to conform 
ourselves to who we aspire after. To behave, to think, to respond. Anyone want to think, remember, remember a scripture where, where, where we're called to conform or not to conform? Romans chapter 12, isn't it? Where Paul says, do not conform to the world, but be transformed. So if you're not to conform to the world, and we are people and humans conform, we're called to conform ourselves to Christ, to God, after who we aspire. Paul said it in Romans, didn't he? Don't conform to any other culture than Christ. Be single-focused in our life, mission, and call. You know, we live in a society of mixed messages. Um, that would be a nice way to say it, at best. And God's presence helps us to filter those mixed messages. You know, the mixed messages say you need to become wealthy, you need to become popular, you need to become good, you need to be, have better status, you need to, whatever, the, whatever society is telling us, you need to. But the presence of God helps us to filter out those mixed messages and understand who we truly need to become as followers of God, being filled with all the fullness of God. We're all influenced by a number of different cultures, even Christian culture. You know, we can, even in Christian culture, we can, you know, we can be influenced by good people or seemingly good people and end up following the wrong thing. There was this quote, I read, and I think I've got it up there. Um, Jerry Bridges said this. He said, Many Christians have what we might call a cultural holiness. They adapt to the character and behavior pattern of Christians around them. As the Christian culture around them is more or less holy, so they are more or less holy. But God hasn't called us to be like those around us. He's called us to be like himself. Holiness is nothing less than conformity to the character of God. And the only place that happens is in his presence. If you're never talking to him, if you're never reading about him, if you're never interacting with him and others that know him, if you're never in his presence, it's really hard to conform. You begin to shape yourself after the one whose presence you dwell in. Let me say that again. You begin to shape yourself after the one whose presence you dwell in. You're becoming like Christ, and that is discipleship. So I think the first thing I want to talk about, that I want to say is presence. To understand it, when we want to understand what does it mean for us to be filled with the fullness of God, to be like Jesus, we need to understand the presence of God. And the second thing that we really need to understand, and we understand it because Paul hammers it home in these chapters, is the power of the Holy Spirit. And we underestimate that so much. We underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit and what God has given us in that. You know, have a look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power of at work in us. Does anyone know what that power is? It's the Holy Spirit, isn't it? And how powerful is that power? You know, do you believe you have? You know, and you only need to whip back a page. If you whip back one page, if you've got a Bible, or if you just want to listen really keenly, where Paul says in Ephesians chapter one, and that was that section where he talks about having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you know the hope in that. And then in verse 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power in us who believe according to the work of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. 
So Paul is saying that the, the power that we have in us, the power that God has given us, the Holy Spirit in us, is the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. Anyone excited by that? That that is resident in you. Uh, and look, I'm being honest. I don't access. I don't actually access that power. I don't actually acknowledge that power or use it or think of it in those terms. But God has given us His Holy Spirit to indwell us. <clears throat> and Paul says that that power is the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. Yeah, we we hear stories, don't we, of in, in places where people have been raised from the dead, and we we're either sceptic or really excited and think, can I watch that? Can I see that? Don't we? We sort of think, oh, I don't know if that's true. Or we think, oh, that would be really cool to see. But we don't think, I want to do that. Do we? Or who does? According to this, we can. All the fullness of God is life, isn't it? Paul tells his listeners how they can become, how they can be filled with all the fullness of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself said in John when he left the disciples, he said, it's going to be better for you if I leave. You know, And they, for them that was ironic. How could it be better? Jesus, this is great. He said, it's going to be better because I'm going to come and indwell you with my spirit, with more power than I can give you in my physical bodily form. The power of the Holy Spirit Read Ephesians, the first four chapters, and you'll see Paul refer to it again and again. He says, you don't understand the power that you have. When you've accepted and you've, you've taken Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, when you've said yes, and he's taken up residence where he talks about, where Jesus says, I will send my spirit to indwell you. You don't understand the power of the Holy Spirit. So when I'm calling you to become like Christ, Paul says when, when the Bible, when God calls us to be like himself, to be filled with the fullness of God, to understand that, to be like Jesus, it is possible because of the power that indwells us. We know and confess that apart from Christ, we cannot be or do what he calls us. Becoming like Christ is not in our power. And he knows that. So he dwells in us with his power. In our sinful state, we will never be inclined to become like Christ. <clears throat> but he dwells in us with his power. Firstly, for us to become and then to make. And again, you know, Paul talks about for this reason. It's all for a reason. It's never so that you can be this little powerhouse or you can get joy watching people be raised from the dead. You can, you can just really have warm fuzzies in the presence of God. It's all for a purpose. It's all for the glory of God, for the kingdom of God to come. That you would become ambassadors. And I'm saying all this today, not that we would feel beat around the head or to mess with our theology and to think, well, hang on a second, Andrew, you can't tell us to be like God because we're not God. I didn't. Paul did. I'm not doing it to beat us around the head or make us feel terribly underdone or insufficient but rather that we would aspire, that something within us would rise up and say, yeah, that's what I'm called to. That's discipleship. I'm called to become someone. That we would look at who we're becoming right now, not when we're 80 or not in the future, but we would begin to evaluate who we're becoming right now. 
and believe the possible in God. That discipleship and all that entails is not just this pie-in-the-sky kind of call that we feebly try to do by setting up programs and practices, but that in Christ it is for us. That it is for us to be like Jesus, that it is for us to be followers, that it is for us to understand and to own the fullness of God and to be his ambassadors. That it is for us now, that it's not for us when we're in heaven singing holy, holy, holy. By the way, that was really nice this morning. That we would put things into place now in order to be who Christ calls us to be. The word for that is intentional. You know, we are super intentional with our studies, with our businesses, with our financial planning, with our whatever it is we're doing, with our social calendars. We know what intentional is. The Bible calls us to be intentional in aspiring to be like Christ, to become like Jesus. Many people today would find it nearly impossible to believe that Christians are filled with the fullness of God. Are members of our church filled with the fullness of God? There might be a few who you would say they fit that description. But are most of us filled with the fullness of God? What about you? Are you? Filled with the fullness of God? If God answered Paul's prayer, there's a prayer he prayed. If God answered that prayer, then you and all the other unlikely people around you have indeed been filled with the fullness of God. We have. That's what he did. We're more than able to be like Christ. Not because we're good, but because God is good. He sent his son to clear the decks of sin, to clear away the, everything that got in the way, all the, the, the thresholds, all the walls, to clear the way and to set us to be free like him, to become like him. We're free because of the cross to become like Jesus. We're not just free from sin. It's not just, phew, I've just escaped the bullet, I'm going to heaven. We're free. We're set free to do way more than just get into heaven. We're set free to become like Christ. That's discipleship. And he indwells us himself with his power each day to be disciples, to become disciples and make them. So who are you becoming? And when is a good time to begin? On that piece of paper? When's a good time to become to begin to begin to become the person that you described on that piece of paper? Seventy eight? 77 maybe if you're a forward planner. When's a good time to become that person? When, when, when do you start? Come on, this is interactive. Now. You know, and sometimes we just need to have that smacked in our face to understand that. Because I'm lazy. If each of us has the Holy Spirit, then we can pray with each other. You know, that presence of God, we can be that for each other. Remember this was in the context of the body. So we're going to finish this service and um, I'm going to give you a few minutes. We're not going to sing a song. We're going to finish the service with just an activity. I want you to pull out that little bit of paper again, unfold it. And by now you're thinking, I should have written much nicer words about myself. And what I want you to do is, this is the body. This is the presence of God. I want you to find another person that can be the person next to you or can be someone else. And I want you, and this is a little bit confronting, I want you to read your speech to the other person. And you're going to feel really terribly big-headed. 
or some, if you did it well. But I want you to read the speech to the other person. Now, the other person, I don't want you to be um, lazy in this. What I want you to do is listen to them and I want you to say back to them, what are the descriptive words you've heard? Like if Sue was writing, if I was reading my speech out, Sue would say, I heard a descriptive word, handsome. That would be the one that she would say first. But, you know, um, descriptive words, it could be loving, caring, compassionate, giving. What are some of the descriptive words that you hear in that speech? So if Sabrina's reading a speech to me, I would say, I heard that you, you know, you're a loving, caring, whatever. Okay, and then... Swap around and read the other, and then you can you read your speech. And then I want you to pray for each other. And I don't want you to pray long prayers. I just want you to lay your hands on each other and I want you to pray those descriptive words. God, today, begin the process in X's life to become loving and caring and to be like you. Is that easy? That's not hard. So I'm going to give you about five or six minutes to do that. So do it efficiently. Find someone. And then I'm just going to pray and round off the service and we're going to Pray for you if you want to be prayed or we're going to have some coffee in that as well. So grab another person and get on it. All right. If you need to still um, do some more praying, um, you can do that um, afterwards. You can keep going afterwards. We're going to close the service. I want to read those last two verses again just to encourage you. Um, how many of you thought that was an interesting exercise? How many of you are a bit surprised by the things that you aspire or think you're going to become? Yes, no. How many of you are encouraged by getting prayer for that? I think so. But remember this. Prayer of a, of a saint, prayer of a, a fellow person is, is really, really one of the ways that we can experience the presence of God. But I want to encourage you to engage with the Holy Spirit. And those last two verses, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. He's kind of placed the seed in there and he's able to make it germinate in us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. It's for God's glory. Live your life for his glory. Become like Christ for his glory. If you want to talk with someone or pray with someone, um, if you want to know what, a little bit more of what that's like, how to become like or how to access the presence of God, then come and talk with one of us or pray with one of us or find someone to pray with. Um, we're here for that. If you want to enjoy coffee with us, please do that. Um, say hello to someone that you haven't said hello to um, ever or for the last... The challenge is if you haven't said hello to them for the last five or six weeks, say hello to them. Or if you've never said hello to them, say hello to them. There's a challenge for you. Have a great Sunday and we'll see you next week.